0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank
1: of America NA member FDSE. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 21. I'm your host, Otis Gyrie, And in this episode, I'll be performing four spine-chilling tales for you, all of them from author Ryan Peacock, about macabre meetings, small-town tragedies, ghostly guests, and local legends. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two terrifying tales. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. (laughs) Our first tale tonight from Ryan Peacock introduces us to a man recalling a bizarre encounter he had with a stranger at an indoor playground while he was a child, an encounter that gives an entirely new meaning to the phrase, stranger danger. Without further ado, I present to you, Mr. Otter. You know, when I was a kid, I used to love indoor playgrounds. I'm sure I'm not the only one. You go to some unsuspecting building in the middle of some strip mall, and inside is no mere store or restaurant. It's a kingdom that's only for kids. Inside that building, adventure awaits. There are new friends to be made, games to play, prizes to be won, and you wish you could stay there forever. It's a rush of pure dopamine from the moment you walk in until the moment your parents share the tragic news. It's time to go. And it'll feel like an eternity until you can go back to that paradise again. I don't suppose you need me to tell you how popular indoor playgrounds are for kids' birthday parties. It's a pretty easy way to ensure everyone has a good time. Let the kids loose in the playground for a few hours, add in some... Shitty pizza, a variety of chips, a few pitchers of soda, and you've got yourself a party that no one will forget. You really can't go wrong, can you? I'm not completely sure how old I was uh, when I went to Brad and Clark's birthday party, probably around six or seven. I remember that in the weeks leading up to it, though, I was stoked. The local indoor playground was dinosaur-themed and had a tacky name like Playosaurus. Place had been closed for at least 10 years now, but back in its heyday, it was the place to be. My memories of it are a little bit hazy. I only vaguely recall the specifics of the layout, but I remember that there was a large structure with tubes, ropes, and slides that seemed absolutely massive to six-year-old me. One of the slides went straight into a massive ball pit. The place was about as close to paradise as my child mind could comprehend. A mixture of sugar, things to climb, tunnels to explore, and games to play. Any birthday party there was bound to be good, and Brandon's wasn't the first one I'd been to that was held at Playasaurus. I'd been to others and even hosted one of my own there. When the date of the party actually came, I can't tell you how excited I was— My parents dressed me in reasonably nice clothes that I could still play in. I got Pop-Tarts for breakfast, and I was in the middle of a delightful sugar rush by the time we'd driven over to the party. I wasn't the first one there, but Brandon greeted me as if I was his best friend. I remember that he had a narrow head, pasty skin, and a wide gap-toothed smile. He was a good kid, even if I always did think of him as a bit of a crybaby. Brandon and about six other kids had already been unleashed upon the playground, and it wasn't long before I joined them. We crawled through tubes, climbed up the ropes, and slid down the slides into that massive, wonderful ball pit. The hours melted away as our imaginations ran wild. We were spies, adventurers, and superheroes that only broke from their adventures to wolf-down bad pizza and cheap soda. It was truly a wonderful day right up until I met the man in the tubes. I'd just gotten some pizza and was going back into the playground. I saw Brandon and a few other kids in the ball pit, and I was going to follow them down. I climbed the rope ladder that led up to the slide and crawled through the plastic tube leading to it. I vividly remembered the sound of other kids running around and screaming in the moment before I entered the tube but when I actually got inside, the sound seemed to fade away. Suddenly the playground seemed too quiet, but I wasn't all that bothered. The slide just up ahead, and I was going to get there at any cost. However, just ahead of me, right in the entrance of the slide, was a massive black shape. At first I thought it was just another kid hogging the entrance to the slide, but it looked too big to be just a kid. This was a full-grown adult, They were dressed in all black and stared down the slide as if they were going to go. I considered pushing them, but my mom had told me not to push people, and so I thought better of it. Instead, I waited patiently behind them, but whoever they were, they didn't slide. The figure in front of me turned slowly. As they did, I caught sight of their face, or at least what covered their face. Whoever they were... They wore a colorful otter mask that engulfed their entire head. Through the eye holes, I couldn't see anything but darkness, but I was sure that they were looking at me. Something about their gaze created an anxious pit in my stomach. On instinct, I crawled back away from them. The otter man shifted his body to look at me, studying me carefully before he spoke. Don't go, he said. "'His voice was light and upbeat like a cartoon character. "'It gave me pause for a moment. "'I'm so sorry. Was I blocking your way? "'I meant no harm. "'I just like watching children play. "'That didn't set off red flags in my head that it should have. "'And I stopped my retreat for the moment. "'I studied the otter man carefully, and he did the same to me. "'Who are you?' I finally asked. Oh, I'm Mr. Otter. I-, I live in the Slide.' It's a bad place to live, but a good place to hide. Hide? What are you hiding from? I'm sorry to say, but I'm incredibly shy. I just love to play. Of that, I won't lie. But being out there makes me want to cry. As he spoke, he traced teardrops down the cheeks of his mask with his fingers. I caught myself giggling at him. I'd much rather someone stay with me to play and maybe together we'd make the most of the day, Mr. Otter said, his head tilted slightly. Say there, my friend, tell me your name, seeing as I have already told you the same. Oh, well, I'm Benny, Benny Duran. Benny, you say, what a wonderful name. Perhaps you might stay and we can play games. Mr. Otter's dark eyes remained fixated on me. I realized, as he'd spoken, he'd been inching closer to me. "'Why don't we go and play with my friends?' I offered. "'They're just outside.' "'Your friends?' "'Oh, how grand! "'Do you think they would play? "'Why don't we slide down the slide and see what they say?' "'With that, Mr. Otter shifted out of my way "'in a manner that should not have been physically possible. "'This was a grown man in a little plastic tube "'that he barely fit into, "'and yet his body seemed to shrink away, "'granting me access to the slide.' "'Slowly, I drew nearer. "'I should have been able to see the ball pit at the bottom of the slide, "'but instead I saw nothing. "'The slide just seemed to keep going and going and going forever. "'Without the visible promise of a ball pit at the bottom, "'I suddenly found it harder to make myself go down. "'I remained rooted to the spot before looking over at Mr. Otter. "'He just watched me from behind the blank eyes of his surreal mask.' Even as a child, I could tell something wasn't right. In the low light of the tube, I looked at his body, and it seemed wrong. I could make out no features of him besides a dark, vaguely humanoid shape. The otter mask was the only thing that made him distinct, and even then, despite his playful rhymes, I found myself trusting it less and less. Maybe, with a bit of coaxing, I might have gone down the slide... But, in that moment, I had doubts. I retreated back a step, and Mr. Otter didn't move. Where are you going, Benny? Ben Ben? Aren't we going to play with all your friends? i I need to talk to them first, I said, uh, desperately, trying to think up of a lie as I retreated from the dark shape that loomed ahead of me. Mr. Otter took up his position in the middle of the tube again. Can you not talk at the end of the slide? "'If you've a reason, my friend, oh, please tell me why. "'I I don't want to go down the slide.' "'I finally managed to say as Mr. Otter skulked closer to me. "'He moved like some sort of ape, dragging his knuckles on the ground. "'His body seemed larger than it had before. "'He towered over me now. "'Why not, my friend? Sliding is fun. "'If you're afraid now, you won't be when it's done.' His voice seemed deeper now as he lurched towards me. Out of the corner of my eye, I spotted the rope ladder I'd climbed in through, and I ran for it. I swear I felt claws brush the back of my shirt as I leapt out the ladder and fell to the ground below. The first thing I heard was the crack of my own arm breaking as I hit the hard ground. The second thing I heard was the sound of kids chatting and playing. Everything sounded like it should. The pain made me scream and started to cry. I clutched at my now broken arm as I tried desperately to crawl away from the ladder. I only glanced back briefly, but when I looked up, I saw nothing waiting for me at the top. As far as I could tell, there was nothing in the tube anymore. I didn't get that good of a look, though. My pain screaming drew one of the other parents in a matter of seconds, and they picked me up to look at my arm. As they took me away... I remember seeing Brandon standing just outside the ball pit. He and two other kids watched me go before one of them coaxed Brandon up with them. The last I saw of him, he vanished into the tube I'd just been in to take the slide again. I ended up having to leave Pleasaurus early to go to the hospital that day, but my broken arm wasn't the only tragedy that occurred. I don't suppose I need to tell you that three children disappeared at Brandon's party, including Brandon himself. I recall telling my parents about Mr. Otter, but obviously they didn't believe me. The more official story was that one of the employees had taken Brandon and the other two kids, and in time, I believed that story too. In time, I convinced myself that Mr. Otter was nothing but a scary figment of my imagination— A strange coping mechanism I'd made up to deal with the fact that three kids went missing at a party I was in. That was it. My daughter, Amy, is five years old now, and she's the light of my life. I didn't think I could love anything as much as I loved her, but I do. Playa is now closed. I'm sure in no small part due to the three children who went missing almost 30 years ago. I'd long since forgotten about Mr. Otter and had moved on with my life when Amy got invited to a birthday party at a place called KidZone. I thought little of it at the time. Just because I had a notably bad experience at an indoor playground didn't mean that my experiences should taint Amy's. I'd just take a few extra safety precautions. I told her never to talk to strange adults unless I was with her, I gave her a cell phone just in case we got separated and showed her how to call me, and I resolved to watch her like a hawk at the party. These were all just the actions of a paranoid father, I know. But they eased my doubts, the ones I had about letting my little girl loose, in an indoor playground. Besides, I'm of the mind that you can never be too attentive to your children. The party was going well when I got there. It was a little bit surreal, to be the parent at one of these birthday parties now, but I got along with the other parents just fine. We ate the awful pizza, drank the cheap soda, and shot the shit while the kids had their fun. I spent more time watching Little Amy than focusing on the conversation, but even then I still enjoyed myself. Everything seemed to be going fine. Seemed to be. Kid Zone was different than Playasaurus had been. It was newer and had cute sci-fi gimmicks to it. There was a playset that looked like a rocket ship, moons, comets, and aliens, drawn on the walls and the like. It was no less tacky than PlaySaurus had been, but I suppose it had its charm as well. I watched as Amy followed three other kids up into the rocket ship. There was a small spike of anxiety in my chest. As I watched through the domed plastic windows of the ship, For any sign of her. Occasionally I saw her pass by on her way up to the slide, and that anxiety I felt quickly faded away when I saw her appear at the bottom of the slide in the ball pit. Amy's new friends followed her, and they quickly ran to the next activity. From the corner of my eye, I thought I caught some movement behind one of the plastic windows of the rocket ship, and I idly looked up towards it. The kid in me wished I'd had something that cool to explore back during the days when I could fit in it. Then, in an instant, all of my thoughts went blank. Looking up through the window, I saw a face that had been buried deep in my memories, a face I was so sure I'd made up, a face I could now no longer deny was real. A familiar otter mask watched me from the plastic windows, Its dark eyes were unblinking, and though there were no pupils, I knew they were looking at me. In an instant, nearly thirty years of my life were stripped away. I became that same scared little boy, staring down a slide leading toward infinite darkness as Mr. Otter coaxed me onwards. I could feel my pulse spiking. My breathing got heavier as my hands began to shake. Mr. Otter just watched me, his mask betraying no expression and yet I was sure that I saw a sadistic glee in him. Ben, one of the other parents asked, Ben, are you all right? You look pale. I didn't answer at first, I just stared up at the rocket ship. My focus had only lapsed for a moment, but now Mr. Otter was gone. I could see a few more kids running toward the rocket ship. Amy wasn't amongst them, and my throat was too dry to speak. Ben, one of the other mothers, put her hand on my shoulder. I flinched. I... I'm fine. I lied. Actually, I think I'm feeling a bit sick. I'm sorry. Maybe I should go. Before cake? Are you sure? With a shaking head, I nodded. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I should go. Might have been something in the pizza. It just hit me really hard. I forced a fake smile that I don't think anyone bought. I'm going to find Amy. This has been great. It really has. Oh, well, Ben, if you wanted, I could drop Amy off after. Oh, I appreciate the offer, but no thanks, I said hastily. I really need to head out. I'm sorry. With that, I took off. Amy wasn't far. She was in one of the ball pits, and I took her by the hand immediately. Sorry, sweetie, but we have to go. Daddy isn't feeling too well. She had her protests, of course, but I had the final say. I couldn't have gotten out of kids zone fast enough, and even as I left I felt a heavy stare on me. I barely made it outside before I vomited in a nearby bush. My body felt light. I felt as if I was ready to pass out, but somehow I kept myself standing and conscious long enough to get to the car. After that it took a few moments before I was ready to drive home. "'I heard the news the next day a child had gone missing at KidZone. "'No one from the birthday party, thank God, "'but that was only a small comfort. "'Naturally, the police were involved, and technically I told them the truth. "'I hadn't seen anything. "'My account of Mr. Otter probably wouldn't be something they'd buy into, "'and I didn't want to push my luck. "'I also didn't want to stand by and do nothing, either.' When the police finished their investigation and kid's own reopened, I returned there one night with a can of gasoline. I broke the glass doors and entered the indoor playground. Devoid of children and life, it was an eerie, unsettling place. Every instinct told me that I did not belong there, but I wasn't inclined to listen to instinct at that point. I made myself set to work. Generously dousing the rocket ship, placing it in gasoline, "'to make sure that it burned. "'The stink of gasoline was almost overwhelming, "'and I retreated from it before taking out my lighter. "'I half expected to see an otter mask in the window "'or hear a rhyming voice, but there was no such sound. "'If Mr. Otter was present, he didn't make himself known to me. "'Even when I lit the flames and the rocket ship started to burn, "'there was no sound save for the roar of the flames.' No guarantee that I'd even harmed the creature that had taken Brandon all those years ago. I torched the remains of Pliosaurus the next night, and going forward I'll keep an eye out for reports of kids going missing at indoor playgrounds. I doubt that my actions have affected the creature that's out there yet, but if I keep attacking, maybe I'll get lucky. In the meanwhile, I keep Amy away from playgrounds, My little girl will not become another missing child, and if I have anything to say about it, he will never take another child. Period. I don't care if I have to burn down every single playground in the country. I don't care if I spend the rest of my life in prison for the arsons. He will not have my Amy. He will not have anyone else. I hope you enjoyed Mr. Otter, as written by author Ryan Peacock, and performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first tale, and would like to enjoy more tales from tonight's talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting their author profile today. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com peacock. That's simplyscarypodcast.com peacock spelled like the bird of the same name, P-E-A-C-O-C-K, and you'll be redirected to the author's profile on our horror fiction website, creepypastastories.com, where you can learn more about this talented writer or connect with him via his social media outlets, including Reddit, Tumblr, and Twitter, or use the convenient contact link to let them know that you enjoyed their work. And again, that's simplyscarypodcast.com slash peacock to check out Ryan's author profile today, where you can get in touch, follow him, and show your support. Oh, and if you do, please leave this talented gentleman a kind word and be sure to let him know you heard about him here on this show. Up next, we've got a second tale of terror for you, courtesy again of Ryan Peacock. In it, we'll meet a man... ...forced to confront the horrifying truth behind a historic tragedy in a small town. It's one of those places where everyone knows everyone else. And well, that might not be a good thing after all. Without further ado, I present to you... ...Remember Only the Checkered Clown. People in my hometown don't talk about what happened during the summer of 1969. Urban legends, unsolved mysteries, and tragedies can be found in the history of any small town in the world, and mine is no different. Yet those who remembered the checkered clown know why it is best forgotten. For the purposes of anonymity, I won't share the name of my hometown. Most of those who know of the clown only know the twisted stories and those old enough to remember aren't likely to share many details. Most of them would be of little help anyway. I'm quite sure there aren't many left alive who know the truth. I may well be the very last one there is, and if that's so, it would be wrong to take that knowledge to my grave as so many have before me. As it is now, I'm staring down the barrel of old age and my youth is long gone. It's best to come out with it while I'm still young enough to remember everything. I was eight years old on July 14th of the year 1969. It was a sunny day with only a few clouds drifting lazily through the sky and even from a few blocks away you could smell the carnival. It had been a topic of conversation amongst the boys on the block for a few weeks. Back then our little town was out of the way, Surrounded on all sides by heavy forest, with only a few roads connecting it to the rest of the world. Given the isolation, we didn't see much of interest passing through our little community, so of course the carnival was a big deal. I remember when my mom and dad led my brother and I to the field on the edge of town. I walked happily in front of them, looking back periodically, to make sure they were close behind. My dad held my little brother, Carter's hand, and they lagged behind a little bit. He was only four years old, too young to understand where we were going, and I remembered he'd been especially grumpy that morning. He'd just been getting over a bit of a fever, so maybe that had contributed to his sour mood. Either way, I didn't let it dampen my own enthusiasm. As soon as I smelled the deep-fried funnel cake and popcorn, I broke into a run, following the delightful smells and sounds of the music. Then I saw it, the long-awaited carnival, and there was an initial rush of disappointment. I'd expected something a lot more grand than what we'd gotten. In the movies and on TV, carnivals seemed like endless sprawls of games, rides, and food with a Ferris wheel looming over all of it. What was set up in that field was certainly something incredible, but it was fairly bare bones. There weren't any rides, just booths with simple games and vendors with food. I saw a few of my friends at one of the vendors, and I'd just been ready to go over and join them when a man had stopped me. It had been Mr. Woods, who run the town library back in those days. I remember he always had a kindly smile and soft eyes. "'Don't you want your tickets?' he asked. "'And in his hand I saw strings of ticket paper waiting for me. "'Mr. Wood's warm smile seemed to widen as he offered them to me, "'and I greedily snatched them up. "'I glanced behind me for a moment, "'and I saw my mom, dad, and Carter right behind me. "'My dad just smiled at me and waved me on toward the booth. "'That was all the permission I'd needed. "'I sprinted toward my other friends to join them "'in whatever game they'd been playing,' and my initial disappointment was quickly forgotten. I remember that my teacher that year, Mrs. Jenkins, was watching the ring-toss game, and that our principal, Mr. Hughes, had volunteered for the dunk tank, which was practically a dream come true. For one glorious afternoon, me and my friends got to experience a carnival. We traded tickets for treats like funnel cake and candy apples. We'd run around and played, There was even a smiling clown in a baggy white suit who sounded a lot like my friend Michael's dad that painted our faces. That afternoon was almost absolutely perfect. I'll admit I did lose track of my family amongst everything. I remember that I saw my mom sitting alone at one picnic table with no sign of my dad or Carter around, but I never thought much of it. I'd figured dad had taken Carter to play some games, I had my own friends to play with and my own games to focus on. I didn't want to drag my little baby brother around. What kid would? So I just played with my friends and enjoyed the carnival for what it was worth. We never paid much attention to what was going on in the background. I don't think anyone did. Most of those who saw something that day have their own stories. Some got a good look at the checkered clown, some claimed they spoke with him, and others only caught a glimpse of him. I fall within the latter camp. When I saw him, he'd been walking behind the booths. He was dressed in a black and red checkered outfit and wore a cap that resembled that of a stereotypical Corchester. I remember the way that the bells had jingled as he walked. I'd only momentarily caught sight of his face when he looked towards the children in the carnival, although I can't say I saw much. He'd kept himself covered with a black buskin mask. I remember the mournful expression on it that seemed so exaggerated. The mask looked as if it was screaming in anguish. I watched him for a few minutes as he passed, popping in and out of view from behind the booths as he walked purposefully away. It didn't hold my attention for long. Instead, I'd just gone back to my games. At the time, he made such a small impression and I'm sure I would have forgotten him entirely if people hadn't begun to notice the missing children. We'd only been playing for a few hours before someone started calling out for their child, and in the span of a few minutes, the carnival fell apart. I remember my dad emerging from the crowd of other kids who looked around in confusion as their parents called for them. He grabbed my hand and tugged me sharply away from the other children towards my mom. "'I could see her head darting around frantically "'over the cries of the throng "'and I could hear her yelling a name. "'Carter! Carter!' "'There were tears rolling down her cheeks "'as she called for him "'and her voice was drowned out "'amongst several other parents screaming for their children. "'I remember seeing several of my friends with their own parents "'and I remember that some of them had even had siblings "'who were now notably absent.' "'Take Sean. I'll I'll find Carter,' my dad said as he pushed me towards my mom. She looked up at him, silent for a moment, before she grabbed me by the hand and led me away. I didn't want to go. I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't know where Carter had gone or why everything had so suddenly stopped. I just remember looking back at the carnival. I heard no music and the smell of food was barely lingering.' What I did hear were the desperate cries of frightened parents looking for boys and girls they'd never see again. Thirty-two children went to the carnival that day and never came home, including my brother, Carter. Most of them were young, five and under, but there were a few older ones as well. As for what happened, well, no one really knew. A number of eyewitnesses said they'd seen a clown in a red and black checkered suit "'leading children by the hand into the woods. "'To that end, most of the town joined a search party, "'hoping to recover the children, "'but they found nothing, and after a few days they gave up. "'No one ever figured out just who the checkered clown had been either. "'I don't think anyone wanted to believe that they'd been part of the community. "'I don't recall there being much finger-pointing at the time, "'but I can only imagine I was too young to see its full extent.' If there was anyone the community blamed, I never heard anything about it, and in the end it hardly mattered. The final consensus was that the clown had been a stranger, some unknown monstrous figure who had taken advantage of the carnival to lure away some innocent children, although the questions of why and to where were left unanswered, for there were no answers to be found. No explanation and no why behind it all. Those children had simply been spirited away, and that was the only answer my little community had. Loss begat grief. Grief became bitterness, which gradually turned into acceptance, and as the years went by, people seldom spoke of the carnival. It became a sour memory for those who lived through it, and an urban legend for those who didn't. Moving on after Carter's disappearance wasn't easy, but in due time I found my ways to accept that my brother was dead. Time went by. I grew up. Familiar faces aged and died off, and every year the memory of the checkered clown became more and more distant. I never left my hometown. Some of my friends did, first returning only for occasional visits. That became less and less frequent before they stopped returning at all. I never resented them for that, One thing I've learned is that life calls people to different paths, and I made a point to see enough of the world outside of my little bubble to know that as beautiful as it all was, there was never anywhere else in the world that I felt more at home than, well, home. Besides, the next 50 years were kind to our little community. Inevitably, the town grew, a lumber mill opened in the 70s, that brought newcomers, and with them came growth. As the next 51 years crept by, the little hometown I'd grown up in changed into something modern and unrecognizable, and that fateful carnival was all but forgotten. Even the field it had taken place in was bulldozed and replaced by a small suburb of townhouses, and as all of this happened, I lived my life. I met a girl, married her, had kids, and got old, and even I'd stop thinking about the carnival. Every now and then it would creep into my mind, but like any bad memory, I didn't let it linger. I'd decided long ago that there was no point in dwelling on the past. Instead, I just kept on working toward retirement and figuring out how I'd spend my twilight years, and I was happy just to have that. After the divorce, I'd gotten myself a little townhouse that I could comfortably afford. Originally, I'd bought it for me and my two sons to live in comfortably while they were over, but I'd inevitably ended up the only resident. My eldest son had got married and moved into the city about a year ago, and my youngest was finishing college in another state and shooting to become a lawyer. I was well enough alone, although I can't say it bothered me much. I had Toby for company, and while my mum had died long ago... My dad was still kicking as he pushed 90, and I'd stop by for a visit every now and then. Toby was some sort of collie mix. I think he had some healer in him. Originally, he'd been my youngest son's dog, but when he'd left for college, Toby had stayed with me. He was an odd animal, to say the least. Scrawny, no matter how much he ate, anxious to the point where the fucking rain (laughs) terrified him. And if I so much as stepped out of the house... He'd scream blue murder until I came back. He had those big bloodshot eyes that looked so miserable all the time, and by God was he a troublemaker. I can't say I didn't love that dog, despite his faults, though. I suppose it was nice to have something to care for, and I could tell that mutt missed my boys as much as I did. We kept each other company, though. Every Sunday morning I'd wake up a little early and cook a big breakfast of sausage and eggs. I'd make a few extra sausages for the dog and set them on a plate for him. He always seemed to appreciate that. Then, after breakfast, I'd get his leash and we'd go on a little stroll through the neighborhood. We'd pass through what used to be downtown back when I was a boy, and on the way back up we'd pass the suburb that sat where that field had once been. I didn't often think about it. The carnival was a faded scar, and all the houses all looked so familiar. Sometimes I might reminisce as we passed those houses, but not often. Usually I'd keep walking with Toby, lost in my own thoughts all the way home. That Sunday in March had been a bit colder than most. Most of the winter's snow had defrosted, but some fresh snowflakes drifted down from an otherwise clear sky that morning. I could see my breath out in front of me while I'd been out on my morning walk with Toby, and I let him explore and nip at the snowflakes as I walked. I can't recall what I was thinking about as we passed the suburbs, where the carnival at once stood, but my mind was elsewhere. Toby's sudden barking was the only thing that brought me back into the moment, followed by the sudden yank on his leash. I looked up and caught sight of a white, fluffy tail fleeing out around the house as Toby struggled against his leash. I felt it slip out of my hand, but I wasn't fast enough to stop it. That dog took off like a shot, barking threats at that innocent rabbit as he gave chase, and I was right behind him, yelling for him like a fool. Toby, get back here! If nothing else, that dog was fast. I'm not even sure I could have kept up with him in my prime, and by the time I'd followed him around the house, all I saw was a black-and-white blur in the distance, heading for the trees. Toby! That damn dog couldn't have cared less, and he vanished into the woods without so much as a backward glance. All right, you little bastard, I murmured as I reached the tree line. My boots sank a little bit in the mud, and I could see the vague shape of the dog in the distance. I headed towards him, calling out again, but this time he looked at me. He was panting, and he had that stupid grin dogs always get on his face. I had a feeling he was going to draw this out and turn it into a game, since he hadn't got the memo that at seven years old he wasn't a puppy anymore. As soon as he saw me getting closer, he took off a short distance away, then stopped to make sure I was still following him. While he waited for me to catch up, he pranced around and lolled in the mud, probably having the time of his life in the process. As pissed off as I was, I can't pretend it wasn't a little endearing. All right, you've had your fun, I said as I got closer to him, and Toby just took off again. Asshole. I took another step forward, but as I did, I heard the creak of old wood, not a twig snapping under my feet. "'No, this sounded more like a rotting floorboard, "'and there was a bit of an echo to it. "'I didn't have much time to wonder what the hell it was. "'It was just a split second later "'when the ground gave way beneath my feet. "'With a startled cry, I dropped down into darkness "'and was greeted with a splash of cold water. "'It hadn't been a long fall, but it had been a hard one. "'I landed on my ass, and the water went up to my chest.' A rancid smell filled my nostrils, and I immediately began to gag. I'm not ashamed to admit that my lovely breakfast went to waste that morning. My body ached, but as far as I could tell, I wasn't seriously hurt. In the light that filtered down from the hole I'd fallen through, I could tell that I'd only dropped about ten feet. Looking around, my first thought was that I'd fallen into some old, sealed-off well. I suppose that was just my luck. Up above I could hear Toby barking. It was close, and I saw him peek down into the pit and sniff at it before continuing to bark. I suppose the little bastard realized that something wasn't right and was doing the only thing he logically could about it. I fumbled around in my pocket for my cell phone and took it out. I thanked God I'd opted for a waterproof case since I'd at least be able to call for help a little more efficiently than Toby was. "'Bless his heart for trying.' "'With my phone offering some light, "'I was allowed the chance to see my surroundings, "'a little clearer. "'The water beneath me was dark, almost black, "'and the muddy earth beneath my submerged feet felt uneven, "'as if I were standing on rocks. "'When I moved, I nudged something with my foot that shifted. "'On instinct, I looked down, "'and that's when I saw it out of the corner of my eye. "'It was almost completely sunken into the dirt wall of the pit.' and most of it was submerged, but I still recognized what I was looking at. A human skull. The bone was brown and rotted, and the lower jaw had long since fallen off. I jerked backward, bumping against the rear wall of the pit, and my eyes darted around frantically. Something broke underneath my foot. Another bone? My pulse was racing. As I looked back at the skull that had sunken into the wall, it looked small too small to be an adult. My attention shifted to the wall behind it and followed it up. It occurred to me that a well would have probably been more than just an old dirt wall. Hell, there should have been some indicator of where it had been in the first place to prevent old idiots like me from falling in. But there hadn't been, had there? There'd be no marker, no warning, nothing at all. Looking back at the skull, I could hear Toby barking frantically above me, and there was only one thing to do. With a shaking hand, I dialed the police. I was there on the scene when the police began to remove the skeletons from the pit. After they'd got me out and told me what I'd seen, I stood by watching as one of the officers descended into that pit. Or perhaps it may be more accurate to simply call it a tomb. We've got bodies down here, I heard the officer call up. Bodies. That word hit me hard. How many? I I don't know. Skeletal remains. Multiple corpses. The officer standing near the top of the pit looked pale. I can't imagine he'd seen anything quite like this before. Our little community didn't exactly have much crime in it. And this... I found myself staring at the pit as the officer inside climbed out I barely heard what he'd said to his associate my hand absent-mindedly dropped down to rest on Toby's head as he panted obliviously beside me my mind was racing trying to process all i'd seen my body ached but i'd hardly noticed that sick sinking feeling in my stomach grew worse as i remembered the smell of popcorn and funnel cake We'll call a team in, start getting them out of here, and maybe start uh, IDing the remains, the officer said. I saw him looking down into that mass grave, and part of me wanted to tell him that I already knew who was down there. I knew that there were 32 of them, and I knew all of their names. I didn't say a word, though. Instead, my mind wandered back to Carter for the first time in years. Little Carter. Carter. That baby brother I so longed to avoid. The one I'd taken off on and abandoned the first chance I'd gotten. I knew he was in that hole along with the rest of them. His flesh long since rotted away and what was left of his bones soon following suit. I wondered if I'd stayed with him, if I'd watched him like a good brother, whether he would still have ended up down there or if he and I would be living out our twilight years together. There was no answer to that. There never would be. But still, I asked the question as they stood and stared at Carter's watery grave. I didn't hear a thing about the discovery outside of a surprising brief mention in the local news. If there ever was any word of it outside of town, it was quickly buried beneath other more pressing news stories. I wasn't surprised to read that they'd determined that there to be 32 skeletons, though— all of which belonged to children. That said, my lack of surprise didn't keep me from following what I could about the find. The obvious question still hung over my head, and the discovery of bodies provided precious little resolution. I don't suppose anyone could have explained why someone had dropped thirty-two children into a pit and boarded it up. I found precious little from what searching I did do and it had occurred to me that there wasn't enough to announce on the news yet, but that felt flimsy. Thirty-two skeletons in a pit in the middle of the woods seemed worthy of more than just a passing mention. But then again, perhaps I was just an old man with skewed memories of how the world was supposed to work. I'd gone home after my fall and stayed there, processing everything. I'd called off work for the next day as well, I assume falling into a pit in the middle of the woods, was enough of an excuse to avoid work, and I knew there was someone more important than I needed to be. My dad was a stubborn old bastard, and as he crept closer to ninety, I was sure he'd never die. Despite his age, he still maintained most of his independence. I'm sure if I hadn't insisted I'd handle his shopping, he'd still be out and about most days, Ignorant to the fact that he wasn't as young as he used to be, and I suppose that made two of us. I didn't know if he'd heard about the pit in the woods. I hadn't spoke to him on the day I found it. I hadn't been sure just how to break the news to him, but I knew that it had to be done. I'd gotten up a little later that morning, much to Toby's chagrin. He didn't like it when he was denied his morning patrol of the backyard. I thought about calling Dad, but I wasn't sure just what I'd say to him. The news I had deserved to be shared in person. Eventually, once I had taken care of the dog, I made myself leave from the house. Time had not left my old house alone. The tree out front I'd once climbed with my friends was long gone, as was the stump. The porch looked different, and there was a new yet barren garden out beside it. Mom had set it up in her twilight years, but Dad had never been able to care for it once she'd passed. When I knocked on the front door, I didn't wait for a response. If Dad was still upstairs, I'd be waiting a good ten minutes for him to make the journey via the Stairmaster. I unlocked the door myself, and as I did, I heard footsteps upstairs. Hi, Dad, I called. Sean? Time and cigarettes had given my dad a rasp in his voice. He was clearly awake, but I didn't go up to bother him. "'What are you doing here? I thought it was Monday.' "'It is. I took a day off. I called up. "'I... I wanted to talk to you about something.' "'Oh. Well, give me a minute. I'll I'll be right down. "'Make yourself at home. You know where everything is.' "'I did. Although I couldn't let myself get too comfortable. "'I'd been out of that house for over thirty years now, and so much had changed.' The old floral wallpaper was gone, most of the furniture had been replaced, and there were only a few relics of the way things had been before. Stepping into the living room, my eyes were drawn to the pictures of Carter on the walls. My dad had kept them, all of them, and lovingly framed them over the years, a grim reminder of what he'd lost on the day of the carnival. On the mantelpiece was an urn with Mom's ashes in it. I heard the whirr of the Stairmaster behind me as Dad began his descent, and I turned around to greet him at the bottom of the stairs. He only barely resembled the man I'd grown up with. In my memories, my Dad had been a tall and proud man with a bushy mustache and stern eyes. Now, though, I saw only the vaguest resemblance to the man he'd been. He was frail and hunched over. His hair was wispy and white. His jowls sagged down and... Heavy glasses obscured his eyes. What was left of his mustache was white, and he clutched my hand as I helped him out of the Stairmaster. Sean, he said softly and pulled me in a half-hug. So nice to see you. Let me just get to my chair so I can sit. I clutched his hand as I escorted him into the living room and helped him ease down into his worn-in, comfy armchair. "'I found a seat for myself on the sofa beside him. "'There we go. "'I'm not as young as I used to be, kiddo,' he said, half laughing and half melancholy. "'Feels like only yesterday I was here with your mom and you we're bringing the kids around. "'How are the boys, anyhow?' "'Oh, they're all right,' I said, keeping busy. "'Good, good.' "'He nodded slowly and relaxed back in his chair.' It goes fast, you know. Once upon a time, I was your age, and I thought, I was old. (laughs) He laughed, eyes shifting over to one of the pictures of Carter. Look at me now. He looked over at me now and noticed my polite yet vacant smile. His brow furrowed. You're a sorry sight. What's going on? Did you get fired? No, no, things are fine at work. I said. I exhaled softly as I chose my words carefully. Did you see the news at all, Dad? I don't bother with it. It's all bullshit and sensationalism these days, and I don't care much for what the world does anymore. I nodded. His answer didn't surprise me. Why? What was on it? I took a few minutes to answer. Well, I I found something the other day out in the woods. Oh, behind that suburb where the field used to be. The one where the carnival took place. Dad went silent. His eyes were trained on me. His brow furrowed heavily. There were some rotted wood planks in the middle of the forest that covered up this pit. I didn't see them. I stepped on them by accident and I fell. I'm not injured. I didn't need to go to the hospital or anything. Just a few scrapes and bruises. And I had my phone on me so I could call for help. But I swallowed. The mental image of that skull embedded in the dirt wall of the pit rushed back into my mind. Had that been Carter's skull? There were bones in the pit. Human bones kids. I called the police. They got me out and said there were skeletons out there. I took a look on the news last night. They said there were... 32. My dad whispered. I nodded. I felt a tear streaming down my cheek and wiped it away. I didn't hear anything about them identifying the bodies or... Dating when they died, but... I looked up at my dad. He sat in his chair, dead silent. I saw tears streaming down his wrinkled cheeks. I'm sorry. I whispered, but he didn't say a word. He just stared at a picture of Carter across the room. His breathing had gotten heavier. I'm going to find out who I can talk to. Maybe ask about Carter, I said. If... If they can identify his remains amongst the other skeletons, maybe we could give him a proper burial. Still no response from Dad. His hands were shaking, and I stood up to draw nearer to him. I wanted to put my hand over his. I wanted to tell him that everything would be all right. Yet as I drew nearer, he grabbed me by the wrist. His eyes fixated on me, and he sucked in a gasping breath. Sweat dripped down his brow and panic reared up in my chest. Something was wrong with him. Sean. He rasped and I instinctively went for my cell phone. Fuck! it! Hold on! Sean. Tears and sweat dribbled down my dad's face as I dialed 911. I didn't even let the operator speak. I need an ambulance right away! My dad's having... Some sort of attack, I blurted out, followed by his address. Sorry, Dad whispered as he clung to my arm. His eyes closed, and I held him close, as the operator promised me that they'd send an ambulance immediately. I held on to his every breath, my own heart racing in my chest, terrified that this would take a turn for the worse until, at last, the paramedics arrived. "'I suppose the news had been too much for him to bear. "'Dad's heart attack hadn't killed him, thank God. "'But as I rode with him to the hospital in the ambulance, "'I was so sure I'd lose him, "'and I'd stayed as close to his side as I could "'until they moved him to his own room. "'We're going to keep him for observation for a few more days. "'One of the doctors had told me. "'We need to be sure, as we can,' that there won't be another incident after we discharge him. i just nodded in response. Yeah, whatever it takes, I'll cover the costs, I said. The day wasn't even half over, and I already felt exhausted again. I suppose I'd known that I'd need to take another day off, although that hardly bothered me. My dad's health came first. He was asleep when I'd left the hospital. I'd stopped to get a burger in order to clear my head. So much had happened over the past couple of days. It was hard not to feel a little bit blindsided by it all. My mind drifted back to my dad, stuck in his hospital bed. I couldn't imagine his mental state. Fifty years of not knowing what had happened to Carter, and then at last, something right out of the blue. I wondered what I would have felt if it had been my son, As soon as I'd eaten, I headed back to Dad's place. Since he was clearly going to be in the hospital for a while, I wanted to bring him some things from home. His medication, a change of clothes, maybe some minor things that might make his stay just a bit better. I wanted to be there for him when he woke up. I wanted him to know that he wasn't alone in his grief for Carter. The door was still unlocked from when we'd left, and I pushed it open quietly. I glanced over at his empty armchair and at the pictures of Carter that decorated the living room before heading downstairs. I stopped off at the bathroom first to collect his pills and then to the bedroom to get some clothes. I'd only been in my dad's bedroom a few times before, helping with some handiwork. The queen-sized bed had one side almost untouched and the other unmade, The room was otherwise tidy and neat. In the closet, I spotted some of Mom's clothes, still hanging as if they were waiting for her. I suppose Dad had never been able to bring himself to throw out her old things. I doubt I could have done it either. It hardly mattered either way. When Dad died, they'd find new homes eventually. I pushed the clothes out of the way and found some comfortable-looking T-shirts for him to wear, as well as a pair of jogging pants with some old stains on them, among other things. Most of his old clothes were suits or button-down shirts, which I ignored and pushed out of the way as well, to see if there was anything else lingering near the back. Then I paused. In the low light of the closet, it was difficult to make out the checkered pattern. I was sure it was just flannel at first. But on instinct, I grabbed it and pulled it out. The outfit hung on one hanger. The pattern was worn and frayed from the moths that had gotten to it over the years, but I would have recognized it anywhere. Black and red checkers. There was no sign of the mask or the hat, but there didn't need to be. I stared at the outfit silently, holding it up to the light as I tried to process what I was seeing, and suddenly I felt sick. I wanted to scream... I wanted to hurl the costume away like a a venomous snake or bury it in the closet and pretend I hadn't seen it. But I did neither of those things. I just stared at it like a goddamn fool as I realized the truth. I left the bedroom in a haze. The smiling pictures of Carter on the walls seemed to watch me, almost with an accusatory glare. I couldn't bring myself to look at them as tears streamed down my cheeks. I still clutched the checkered clown outfit bunched up in a grip so tight that it turned my knuckles white. I was shaking, and as I descended the stairs, I headed for the door, consumed only by single-minded purpose. When Dad awoke, I sat quietly in the chair beside him. The machines beeped quietly around his bedside, but I'd closed the door so we'd have our privacy. Outside, the sky was dim with twilight, and Dad's uneaten hospital dinner sat on a tray by his bed, along with his pills. Sean. His eyes were on me. He looked exhausted and weary. I didn't answer. I just stood up and tossed the worn outfit into his lap. He looked down at it, eyes glowing with a solemn recognition. His shaking fingers brushed against the old fabric. For a moment, I half-expected him to have another heart attack. He looked up at me again, mouth-opening and closing, as he tried to figure out what to say. "'Why?' I asked. My voice trembled with rage as I spoke. Fresh tears gathered in the corner of my dad's eyes. "'Sean, I—' "'Why?' My voice echoed through the room and Dad recoiled from me, panting heavily as the tears fell down on his cheeks. Carter, he was your son. I, I had to. Dad's voice was weak and mournful. We had no choice. The fever, the sickness, we didn't know what to do. What? What are you talking about? What fever, what sickness? There was no fucking sickness. There was, Dad snapped. You're too young. You didn't understand. It came on so suddenly. It was a smaller town back then. The nearest doctor was the next town over. But people started getting sick. They started dying, and we were scared. We didn't know what to do. The adults, the ones who were sick, they knew to stay away. But the children... They didn't understand, and it was spreading so fast. Then they started dying, and we couldn't watch. We made a choice, Sean. We made a choice all those years ago, the only choice we could make. We chose mercy over suffering. It was the only choice. To kill the children, I whispered. You murdered them. We agreed. No one wanted to know who'd done it. The men, we held a lottery, and I lost. We put on the carnival to get the children who weren't sick together so they wouldn't ask questions, so they wouldn't know what was going on. Then we rounded up the others, kept them away from the rest of the kids, and one by one I took them into the woods. I took them into the pit we dug. I had a knife. They didn't suffer. Carter didn't suffer. Not like he would have if we let the fever claim him. And the parents didn't suffer either. They didn't need to watch their children die. I stood there watching my dad cry as he uttered his confession. I remembered the pictures of Carter on the walls staring at them for every hour of every day of the rest of his life after the carnival. After that, "'I... I never spoke of it. "'We all agreed the chuckered clown would be anonymous, "'and we could leave him behind. "'With the children gone and the last of the fever quarantined, "'we... we could move on. "'Start again. And it worked, Sean. It worked.' "'He reached for my hand, but I pulled it away from him. "'I'm sorry,' he whispered, "'but it had to be done.' I just stood there, silent as my dad looked into my eyes. I couldn't find the words to say. All I could do was stare. Behind me, I heard the door open as the nurse stepped in. ''Everything okay in here?'' she asked. I heard shouting. I didn't give her an answer. Instead, I just pushed past her and out into the hall, leaving my dad behind. I got the call about his suicide the next morning. He overdosed on his pills. A nurse had found him just an hour before, lying in his bed and wearing that faded, checkered clown suit. I imagine he died peacefully, and despite his sins, I'm glad that he did. Part of me wishes I had a better chance to say goodbye, but at the same time, I don't think I could ever look looked at him again without feeling disgust. I've heard very little about the skeletons uncovered in the woods. It's just a footnote to the legend that started in that summer of 1969, and I suspect that legend will haunt my hometown forever. But I won't let it haunt me. At long last, I know what happened that day, and I don't know if the answers have made me feel better or just left me hollow. Either way, it's clear to me that I can't stay there. It's time for me to find another home. I hope you enjoyed Remember Only the Checkered Clown by author Ryan Peacock, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author would love to hear from you and has a large catalog of tales available for free that are sure to be new to you. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash peacock. Once more, that's simplyscarypodcast.com slash peacock, spelled P-E-A-C-O-C-K, just like the bird and you'll be redirected to our horror fiction website and the author's profile there, where you'll find a link to Ryan's available social media, where you can follow him for his latest updates, as well as a convenient contact page, which you can use to contact with him and leave a kind word. If you do decide to drop Ryan a line, please let him know you heard about him here on this program and that Otis Jiry sent you. It would mean a lot to him. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep. If you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. But that's alright. Who needs sleep anyway?